All right, so um, I'm not Pastor Rob. He's, um, he's home not feeling well. So please uh, keep him in prayer. Uh, Lord willing, he'll be uh, you know, back in the office tomorrow, but I'll just continue to pray. He's got flu-like symptoms, so um, I guess you could imagine how that must feel, right? We've all been, had the flu, so. But let's pray. Uh, Lord, uh, thank you for our time together. And Lord, uh, thank you for Pastor Rob, and we pray for uh, Kathy and Ariana as well, that, um, that they wouldn't uh, catch what Pastor Rob has. So we uh, just lift them to you and pray for your protection around them, Lord, for healing uh, as they recover, Lord, and that um, you would just continue to bless them and strengthen them throughout uh, the day and uh, the upcoming week. And for our time together in the Word, Lord, uh, uh, we just pray that you would um, anoint your word, that, Lord, uh, the things that are shared, uh, Lord, would be uh, encouraging but yet challenging at the same time because, uh, Lord, you know and we know that um, um, you want to grow us uh, into that Christ-likeness, Lord. So we thank you for that and just put our time before you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so... What we're going to be doing this morning is a kind of a, a, a collection of what we've been doing actually on Tuesday mornings in the senior group. Um, so for you seniors out there, this is going to be a little bit of review. But you know what's nice about it? You can't complain about it, right? Because you have to be thankful. And that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. And that's what we've been talking about on Tuesday mornings where... Um, I'll give you a quick overview of what happened. We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Uh, we're going through the Bible chronologically, the epistles and the New Testament. And uh, we were talking about um, Israel and just their constant complaining and how Paul had used them um, as an example to the church at Corinth. Um, hey, like this is the way not to be. Talking about their idolatry, their immorality, and their constant, constant complaining. So we talked about um, a complaining attitude. And that's what we're going to talk about in part this morning. And then we're going to talk about replacing an attitude, a, a complaining attitude, with an attitude of gratitude. An attitude of thankfulness. And so let's... Um, I'm going to make some statements. You might agree with some of them, and you might not, but that's, that's okay. You can, um, you can always catch me later. Um, but just think we're taking communion, so uh, you might forgive me by the time you get to talk to me after. So anyway, in case you think that what we're talking about, because we're going to use some Old Testament references, um, that this is Old Testament stuff that doesn't apply to us. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 11, it says, Now all these things happened to them, happened to Israel, as examples. And they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. So what we're going to look at in the Old Testament is there for our learning. Romans 15, verses 4 and 6, or through 6, for whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that we, through the patience and comfort of the Scriptures, might have hope. Now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another, according to Christ Jesus, that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
So complaining is an attitude, okay? It's a choice that if left unchecked um, will wither your capacity to experience joy and genuine thankfulness. And we're going to see from looking um, at Israel how that happens. So what do I mean by attitude? So attitudes are patterns of thinking formed over a long period of time, right? All of us have these patterns of thinking, a way that we think about life that goes back to the time when we were very, very young. And think about it as you grew up. The experiences that you had and how you responded to those experiences kind of formed your attitudes and your views and your outlooks, right? That makes sense? I'm good. It makes sense to me, too. <laughs> so all of that stuff happened as we, we grew. And I was, you know, I mean, just myself, um, I was thinking of, you know, I, um, I had an older brother that um, if he wanted something, he just took it. He was, you know, he was my older brother. So, you know, I, there was a little resentment there, but you can see how your attitudes get formed. So now you don't like people taking stuff from you, so you get this attitude. So they're formed over a long period of time, and of course, the wrong attitudes, attitudes that we want to change are difficult because they're just kind of ingrained in us. So think about that for a few minutes as we keep as we go um, on because it's it's important because Israel, um, you know, they just um, they were chronic complainers from the time that in Exodus all the way through Numbers all through the wilderness they complained. So we know what attitudes are now. Complaining. Let's define that. Complaining is expressing dissatisfaction with a circumstance that is not wrong and about which I'm doing nothing to correct. Or another one is when we express resentment over circumstances that are beyond our control and about which we are doing nothing to, you know, to remedy, that's complaining. And guess what? God does not like our complaining. He does not like our complaining. Um, he, uh, he hears it, but he doesn't like it. He doesn't like it. Um, so think about this. Israel, they chose to complain, and they spent 40 years in the wilderness. Now, I'm not saying that your complaining is going to get you, you know, where you're going to lose your salvation, but if you're a chronic complainer, your life is going to be like a wilderness. There's not going to be any joy. There's not going to be any excitement in your life. And we see that um, with, with Israel. So Numbers 11, we're going to read some verses there. And then eventually we're going to make our way, hopefully, to Luke 17. So in Numbers 11, verses 1 through 3, it says, Now when the people complained... It displeased the Lord, for the Lord heard it. Now that verse in the New American Standard Bible says, Now the people became like those who complained of adversity in the hearing of the Lord. And that's going to be important in a few minutes. But think about that. The people complained, 
it displeased the Lord, for he heard it, and his anger was aroused. So the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some in the outskirts of the camp. Then the people cried out to Moses, and when Moses prayed to the Lord, the fire was quenched. So he called the name of that place Taberah, because the fire of the Lord burned among them. In Numbers chapter 12, we won't read it, they complained about Moses and who he married. In Numbers 13 14, they complained. Um, they came back with a negative report when they sent out the spies. Right? And, ver- and then in chapter 14, um, let me read that because it'll give you a little bit more of just where these guys, uh, where the Israelites were. In verse 14 and verses 1 through 4, it says, So all the congregation, notice that, all the congregation, not some of them, all of them, lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron, and the whole congregation said to them, If only we had died in the land of Egypt, if only we had died in this wilderness, Why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword that our wives and children should become victims? Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, let us elect a leader and return to Egypt. Wow, that's, it's pretty cold. (laughs) When you think about that, when you think about that, two things that you have to realize Um, They chose to complain. They made a decision to complain. They could have, and we'll see when we get to being thankful, they could have been thankful that God had delivered them out of Egypt, that God had delivered them out of servitude, out of just working uh, 12 hours a day as slaves, making bricks and building buildings. And, you know, they... You think they would they would be thankful, but yet, but yet, they chose to complain. Attitudes are choices. Attitudes are choices that we make. Um, you know they we they don't choose us; we choose them. It's so important for us to realize that because you know what, you'll never change if you don't understand and realize what the problem is. You know, we need to deal with our complaining attitude. We need to deal with it. We need to replace it with a thankful attitude, an attitude of gratitude. And when I talk about that they spent, you know, uh, the complaining just leads us to the wilderness. That's exactly what happened to Israel. You know, they were, uh, considering the size of the group, a couple million people, they were like a month away from the promised land. But because of the attitudes they chose, they never made it. Could you imagine being saved and never really living, um, you know, with the joy of the Lord or the freedom that we have in Christ and the excitement that we have in Christ? And to think that we, you know, that there's really people out there that spend a lifetime complaining. You know, it's just sad. It's sad. And, And, you know, when in, verse, in chapter 14 of Numbers, it talked about how they were concerned about their children dying in the wilderness. It's ironic. It's their children that made it into the promised land. 
Because later on in Numbers, it, it'll, you know, it'll tell us that over, a, a, I think it was 20 years and above, those folks never made it to the promised land. They died in the wilderness. Complaining attitudes, it just takes us out into the wilderness. It takes us out into the wilderness. All right, so they, they complained. They chose to complain. It's a choice. And this is kind of obvious, right? But um, sometimes I wonder if it's that obvious to us. But God is listening. God is listening. Everybody here believe that? God, yeah, God is listening. All right, think of it. God heard every word of every complaint that the children of Israel made. God heard it. He heard it. He was there. He was there. The people, and think about this. They complained, thinking God isn't going to hear this. But think of the things that God provided for them. The pillar, by, the pillar of fire by night, the, the cloud by day, manna, water, everything that they needed to survive and make it through their journey to the promised land God provided. And what did they do? They complained about it. They complained about it. And it wasn't, like I said, they, <laughs> they complained right from the, the, the start. In Exodus 14, 12, it, it says, Is this not the word that we spoke to you in Egypt, saying, Leave us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. So you know what they're basically saying? If you're a believer today, it's like you saying, You know what? Lord, why did you save me? I was better off when I wasn't saved. I mean, basically, that's what they're saying. You know what? And when we complain and just neglect the goodness of God and all that God has done, you know, basically, we're, you know, like slapping God in the face. In in chapter 15 and verse 24, so the people grumbled at Moses saying, what shall we drink? They wanted water. I'm sure it was an issue, right? Two million people in the desert. But God provided. But God provided. So over and over we read it. The people complained. You know what? (laughs) And we can't, they want more of this. We don't have enough of that. Why didn't you do this? Moses, why can't you do this? We need, you know, just complaining. Complaining and complaining. So the complaint chorus continued, right? And worst of all, the clamor created a continuous ringing in the very ears of their creator. You know, God just listening to their complaints. God heard their complaints. He hears their, he hears their complaining and ours. So before we move on to being thankful, I want to talk about what I consider the worst kind of complaining. So am I saying there's degrees of complaining? Uh, I guess it could be, right? So we know God hears our complaining about the weather, <laughs> complaining about traffic. Taxes is a good thing to complain about these days, right? Or rights, right? Your rights here in the country, it's good to complain about that. You know, but 
the particular kind of complaining that I think really grates most on the ears of God is when we complain about our adversity. In Numbers 11 one, and verse 1 again, it says, um, And now the people became like those who complained of adversity in the hearing of the Lord. That's the New American Standard Bible. So in my opinion, that's the worst kind of complaining there is. Complaining about adversity. And you know what? I've been guilty of this. Um, well, I guess, you know, we're all in the same boat. But um, this has kind of really been something the Lord has been dealing with me about this whole topic of complaining. Uh, am I getting any better, Mary, at complaining? Complaining less, not better at it, but, you know, hopefully better at less of it. But um, it says that they, were, they complained of their adversity. Complaining about adversity, as in, like, why do I have to go through that, Lord? Or why do I have to have my knee replaced? You know, I had my hip replaced. Why do I have to have my hip replaced? Um, you know, I'm sick and tired of just being sick and tired. Why, Lord? When's it all going to end? You know, these things that, that happen in life. So all the noise rises to, to the ears of God until he replies, can you step away from me with that chronic complaining? I mean, it got, you know, I mean... I'm going to give you an analogy in a couple minutes that it'll make sense. But the writer of Hebrews warns us about this. In, verse, in chapter 12, verses 5 and 6, he says, And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. So God has entrusted each one of us with a measure of adversity. You have a measure of adversity and I have that measure of adversity. And it's just the right amount to accomplish the eternal purpose of God in our lives. You know, there's a reason for it. And instead of complaining about it, maybe we should consider asking God why or thanking him. You know, God is always, always refining us. You know, we know the character of God. That in itself should keep us from complaining, but it doesn't. It doesn't. We need to change our thinking. Your measure of adversity is like no one else's. You know, and there's all kinds of adversity, health issues, uh, struggling careers, job changes, um, family issues, family tragedy. But hear this, every one of us has a measure of adversity, and God himself is the one who measures it out. He's the one who allows it. Instead of rejoicing in all the good things that God has done in our lives, we complain about the one thing, whatever that one thing is, Israel excelled at that and all that God did and was doing. You know, they had plenty to be thankful for, but they chose to complain. Plenty to be thankful for. And, you know, and it was all the adversity that they were experiencing. No water. You know, it's hot. It's cold at night. 
You know, there's no food. We have this manna that we've, you know. And even that, think about that. Wouldn't it be nice if you woke, every mo- woke up every morning and breakfast was there? No concerns about providing, you know, just, hey, don't, what are we having for breakfast? Don't worry, the Lord will provide. You know, what about, the, oh, the Lord will provide. Everything they needed, God provided. And, you know, that manna, you know, you hear all kinds of descriptions of it, but think about it. The, everything that that manna had in it is what the people needed for their health. Right, they were in. The, it said that their shoes didn't wear out, their clothes didn't wear out, the food that they had. I mean, think about it. They were, um, they were healthy when it came to nutrition. So even in that, God, they complained about it, but God gave them that. It was what they needed. A lot of times we complain because God isn't giving us what we want, but all along He's giving us what we need, and yet we're complaining about it. It's going to get better. Don't, there's no condemnation in this message, right? It's all a challenge for us to rethink how we're, how we're interacting with God. Think about this. You're forfeiting the grace that's, that could help you through the trial by complaining about it. The grace that God wants to give us to get through this, we forfeit by complaining. God wants to give us grace to get through it. We're complaining to him. All the grace and strength you need to experience joy and victory is available to you, but by choosing to complain, by clinging to the idol of a perfect life, you are flushing away the grace of God. You know, there's this mindset. When I first got saved, I thought, wow, that's it, great. No more troubles, no more problems. You know, I'm just going to skate. You know, and like three minutes after that, no, you know, you realize that things happen, you know, and we, we need to get to the point where we understand that God is involved with that and that, that we're not going to, nobody's going to have a perfect life. Anybody here have a perfect life? All right, we'll talk later, Mark. All right. I'll buy you a dessert if you can convince me that. But, you know, just the thought to think that way. Jonah wrote in uh, chapter 2, verse 8, those who worship false gods turn their back on all God's mercies. Is that your worthless idol, your false god? Do you feel you are entitled to a perfect life without adversity? We need to realize this, that the very adversity that you often complain about is the thing God wants to use to get your heart closer to his. In his grace, he grants adversity to bring us close to him. And I know that sometimes that's hard to make sense, but um, you know, God loves us and sometimes he's got to turn the heat up. You know, he's gonna, he's gonna mold and shape us into the image of his son and that hurts at times. So the problem isn't the adversity, right? It's our response to it, right? It's our attitude. And God simply will not tolerate repeated complaints about adversity. 
So, food for thought. So, God's response to those who complained, his anger was kindled, and the fire of the Lord burnt among them and consumed some on the outskirts of the camp. Complaining um, irritates God. (laughs) Complaining irritates God. And why was God angry? Why was he upset? Was it because the people in um, Numbers 14, the, those first few verses that they were crying at the door of their tent, you know, was God mad or angry because they were crying? No. It was because of what they were crying about. They were longing for things that God was not willing to give them. So they whined about it. They cried about it. And I know none of us ever do that. You know, we never, never, never whine or cry to about, you know, oh God, you know, woe is me. But, and, hey, and I'm not trying, I'm not saying that some things that we go through are, are really important and really heartfelt. You know, I'm not diminishing that. It's just, for the most part, we find it's easier to complain than it is to, um, <laughs> to be thankful. So how do our actions affect God? I shared this with the senior group. It's a, a, just a little, a little story about how children um, are power, powerful messengers of the relationship we have with our Father in heaven. So often we gain insight into how our actions affect God by looking at the way our children affect us. So imagine, if, if you can, you're out with your bride for dinner. So you left the kids home. You left the oldest, your oldest son to babysit, right? So dinner's over, you come home, and you go in the house and it's, real, it's quiet. All the lights are out. So you go upstairs to make sure the kids are in bed. Kids aren't in bed. So, you know, it's, you're wondering now, like, well, what's up? So you start looking around upstairs. You work your way down through the living room into the kitchen. And then all of a sudden you hear voices coming out of the basement. So, you know, at least you're relieved because now you recognize it's the kids. So you start working your way down into the basement. And you're wondering, you know, where are they at? So they're in the laundry room sitting in a circle with a flashlight, and they're talking. So, you know, they, they're kind of interested in wanting to see what, um, you know, what they're talking about. So <laughs> they're listening in, and this is what they hear. I wish Dad would get a better job. Is he lazy? One of the other kids chimed in. Why can't he take care of us like the Smiths at church or like our friends at school? You know, why can't we have what these other kids have, our friends have? One of the other kids chimes in, I'm so sick of mom's rules. Go to school, clean your room. Who does she think she is anyway? You know, I'm going to take, I'm not going to take her bossy ways anymore. And you listen as this complaining goes on. Now, as a parent, um, at first, I'm hurt. 
right? At first you're kind of like, ah, oh, man, you know, I try so hard, you know, I really just dedicate my, my life to my kids, you know, how could it not be enough? Then, if you understand, well, if you're a parent, you understand that that hurt lasts for about 10 seconds, right? And then you're angry and you're thinking, the nerve of these kids, right? It's never enough. The things that I've done for them, they have no idea the sacrifices we made. Maybe we haven't given them everything, but you know what? We've done our best. So, now take that out of the context of an imperfect parents and think of our attitudes in the hearing of our perfect Heavenly Father. Remember that he always listens and he hears everything you and I say. It's sobering to know that. And it really, I'm hoping that it gets you thinking that maybe I should change my attitude from a complaining attitude to a thankful attitude or an attitude of gratitude. And that's what I want to um, close with in, when we, we're going to end up doing communion, which is really talking about being thankful. Um, we have so much to be thankful for. So thankfulness is the attitude that perfectly displaces our sinful tendency to complain and thereby releases joy and blessing into our lives. So I'm going to take a quick poll. Life in the wilderness or a life of joy and blessing? Right? Is it, is it that difficult of a decision? But it's a choice we make every day, throughout the day. We choose. We choose our attitudes. We can choose to complain or we can choose to be thankful. And really, when you think of everything that the Lord has done, just think of your own, just your personal, just you. Where, where you were and where God is taking you. Thankfulness, being thankful. So we need to replace a complaining attitude with the attitude of gratitude. And so if you ever thought thankfulness wasn't important to Jesus, you're wrong. So if you want to flip over to Luke 17, we'll look at that and then we'll take communion. So in Luke 17, starting in verse 11. And now it happened as he went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. And then as he entered a certain village, there met, met him ten men who were lepers, who stood afar off, and they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. So when he saw them, he said to them, Go show yourself to the priest. And so it was that as they went, um, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned with a loud voice, glorified God, and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. So Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? Were they not were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to them, Arise, go your way. 
Your faith has made you well. So 10 lepers, Jesus comes into the village. They see him from afar off. I mean, that's, they were to be separate from, uh, the, from people that obviously didn't have leprosy. So they yell out to him, Jesus, have mercy on us. Right? And that's nothing new, right? Right from the beginning of time, humanity has always um, had that unbroken chorus. God, can you do this for me? God, I need this. God, I need that. God, can you do this? Can you do that? But no time for God when things are going well. Right? But in their moment of need, everyone is on their knees. It's amazing that God, in his infinite grace, never tires of our fickle, thankless ways. So in verse 14, it says, When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priest. As they were going, they were cleansed. So obviously, if you had leprosy you had a, and you were healed of leprosy, you had to go get rubber stamped by the priest that you were okay to get back into um, civilization, if you will. So it wasn't until they started to walk away that they were healed. So they, they exhibited some faith, right? Jesus told them, go to the priest. They turned around, were obedient to that, were going to the priest, and they got healed. And, you know, think about, think about that. You have leprosy. Jesus tells you, go to the priest, right? Go show yourselves to the priest. And on your way there, you're totally healed. Totally, totally healed. You're walking... There's 10 of you. You're looking around. Wow. I'm healed. I don't have leprosy anymore. Who was that guy? That was Jesus. Who was, you know, so, I mean, would you be excited? Right? It's like you're on the way to the doctor with this illness, and before you get there, somebody prays for you, and you're healed. You know, these these men were healed of uh, illness, that was going to take their lives eventually. So here they are. They're excited about the fact that they're healed, but only one of them, only one of them goes back to give thanks. One. One out of ten. So Jesus tells them to go show themselves to the priests, and in verse 15, um, and one of them, when he saw that he had been healed, turned back, glorified God with a loud voice. I mean, he was fired up with gratitude. He was excited about giving thanks for what Jesus had, had done for him. He healed him, basically saved his life. Basically saved his life. And what's he do in verse 16? It says that he fell on his face. Um, at his feet, at the feet of Jesus, giving thanks to him, and he was a Samaritan. So think about it, a Samaritan. He, he was a foreigner. He was, I mean, they were, the Samaritans and the Jews hated each other. But what's he do? He, fall, he goes back to Jesus, falls on his face before him, that's, which is true worship, Prostrate before Jesus, 
at his feet, the true place of worship, at the feet of Jesus. He goes back and, and thanks him for what he did, glorifies him. So part of the point I'm trying to make is no one has an acceptable excuse for ungratefulness. Everyone can make a choice to give thanks and acknowledge the goodness and the grace of God. I mean, it's inexcusable not to be thankful, not to have an attitude of gratitude, not to recognize and really um, be just excited and <laughs> fired up about what God is doing and has done in your life. There's just a small fraction of, really, of the population that has personally given thanks to God, when you think about it. The people, you know, the Christians, really, saints that are born-again, spirit-filled believers, compared to the population of this world. Um, it's sad. It's sad. But you know what? We can be a part of the solution for that by sharing the gospel, right? Amen. So... Notice the contrast, a thankless nine and a thankful one. You want to be that thankful one? Think about it. You could be. You could be the voice that changes the whole demeanor, the whole um, mood that, uh, wherever you're at. Um, the workplace. I mean, I know I used to get picked on all the time at work because I was positive. What are you so positive about? Well, you know, well, the Lord's involved. Well, don't bring God into it. You know, but that's, you know, we, you know, we have a, a perspective that is so different when we're thankful. You know, we don't want to be part of the nine. We don't want to be part of the nine. Ten actions received, ten attitudes chosen, but only one thankful person. One person chose to be thankful. Attitudes are everything. And guess what, guys? Jesus notices. He notices our attitude. And it's not like you're going to lose your salvation because you're a complainer, right? But you're, the, the joy and the peace and the excitement about your relationship with God is going to be squelched a bit, right? It's, it's, a, it's a heart of gratitude that God really wants to bless, Jesus noticed those who were ungrateful, and there's no doubt that Jesus was aware and disturbed by their flagrant inst inst you know, instance of ungratefulness. But look what he says at the end of this little section. Were there not ten cleansed, but the nine, where are they? Jesus notices. Was no one found to return to give glory to God except this foreigner? So there were 10 cleansed. Of course, Jesus knew that. He's not looking for information. He's trying to make a point. You know, weren't there, where's the rest? Where, I mean, all, all 10 of you guys were here. Where, where are the other nine? You know, he notices. He notices. And I know that sounds like a weird statement. Of course, he notices everything. But, you know, he notices when we're not grateful or thankful. He's like that parent that's listening in to the kids. And instead of, you know, being thankful that they have a laundry room to sit in 
and a house to live in, they're complaining about the things that their parents aren't providing or think that they should be providing. But you know, it's no different with us. We do the same thing. We think that God should be doing certain things. And when he doesn't, then we complain. And one good thing about not being in the Old Testament is at least when his anger is kindled, <laughs> there's just not a pile of dust where you were standing, right? You know, God is gracious. God is gracious and loving. And it's just so encouraging to know that. You know, sure, the other nine were made, you know, were made well. You know, they had enough faith to go to the priest. They were made well. But I really believe that the Samaritan who went back, that his faith saved him, and he, got, he eventually got saved. That his faith, but let me read it. So in verse 19 it says, And he said to him, Arise, go your way, your faith has made you well. So his faith made him well. Well, the other nine were healed. What's the difference? And I really believe that this Samaritan, his faith made him well in a deeper, more personal way with the Lord and in knowing who Christ was and knowing who the Lord was. And that's what we want. We want that deep, deep relationship. Right? See, he told him to stand up. Your faith has made you well. In effect, what Jesus is saying is that the other nine were cleansed from the leprosy. The tenth one was also saved from sin. Amazing. Thankfulness. Faith grows, guys, in the soil of thankfulness. So my point to you is that all of the good things that God wants to bring into your life, they sprout in the soil of thankfulness. They do. And I don't mean just mere words. And think about that. Think about the way you were brought up. I'll just use me as an example. Every time somebody gave me something at like a family gathering, like a cookie or a sandwich, whatever. My dad would say, did you say thank you? Go over there and say thank you to your aunt. Did you say, you know, and we, and we, we just are, it's ingrained in us. You go out to eat. The waitress brings you a glass of water, thank you. She brings you a menu, thank you. She brings you your food, thank you. You get the point, you know, we say thank you a lot, but it's, it doesn't mean much. I mean, it's being polite, but, you know, I, I read somewhere that um, waitresses say that the people saying thank you doesn't equate with the tip. <laughs> so they, they would prefer a, little, a bigger tip than all the thank yous, right? But really, but if thank you meant something, like you really appreciated the meal, then the tip would reflect that, right? But it doesn't. It's just another indication that, you know, we're just not as thankful as we need to be. So I have some more. I, I'm going to just, you know, I'm going to do this, and then we're going to take communion. And this is, um, this is something that really convicted me. 
um, about a week and a half ago. And I really, I, I struggled to, I, about sharing this. I, I didn't even share this with the seniors yet because I, I don't know if they'll come back. <laughs> but no, I'm just kidding, just kidding. But um, this is like a test, okay? This, and I wrote in big black letters, this test is a challenge to change and not to condemn. It's between you and the Lord. Okay, so here's the test that will help you analyze whether your thankfulness is genuine or routine or you feel like if it's obligated, right? So when you arrived at church this morning, what was going through your minds as you parked the car, as you got out of the car, came through the fellowship hall, and sat down in here? Now, truthfully... What was at the center of your heart? Did any of you guys check the bulletin last night and say, oh boy, Pastor Dave's teaching I'm staying home? You know, or did, you know, hopefully you didn't say that. Well, you're here. Um, you know, were you thinking, what am I going to get out of today's message? Am I going to be encouraged? Will I like the pastor's message? Will he keep my attention? Will he make me smile? Will he make me feel good? I wonder who's singing today. Oh, I hope it's not fill in the blank, which we wouldn't do. Um, will I be glad that I came? You know, all of these things, if that kind of thinking was present as you prepared for worship, it reveals a self-centered, thankless theology that promotes complaining and stifles gratitude. And I have to admit, there's times that I've come to church and had some of these things on my mind. Oh, I wonder how the worship's going to be. Oh, I want, you know, and sometimes you just forget or whatever that you're coming, in, you're coming to a place called a church to meet with the rest of the family Amen. and to praise the Lord, to acknowledge his goodness and his grace in our lives. And then to not so... It, it, like, then it's like a combination. Then we, we want to we hear the word so we can learn more about God, but we also want to hear the word so we can learn more about us, about who we are, and about the expectation God has on us. And then it would be nice if we could hear, like, how do we get there? You know, how do we change? You know, just yielding to what the Holy Spirit is doing. So... We have a lot to be thankful for. And, you know, there's, um, there's really no other way to put it, but if you find yourself complaining more than you're being thankful, you need to deal with it. Because you're only ripping yourself off to start with. But God hears it, so think of, you know, God, you know, I don't know if this is a very theological statement, but God has feelings, I think, right? He loves us, right? So, I mean, don't... We wouldn't say something to the person next to us, you know, to complain or about them or hurt their feelings. We would try to be sensitive. Um, you know, we owe God the same thing. And if we don't understand something about what's going on, instead of complaining about it, why don't we ask God about it? God, what could I do about it? What are you doing? What are you, what are you, you know, God, what are you doing in my life? Why is this, you know, the whole mindset. You know, if, 
if you enjoy a dry, dull relationship with, with God, that's between you and him. But I, I'm under the suspicion that you guys want a fruitful, just a, a vibrant, real, just glorious relationship with the Lord. But I know that Mark does. <laughs> so being thankful. You know, guys, we can thank God for a new day. We can thank God for life. We can, um, you know, that he, he will use us to serve him. We can thank God for every breath that we have, for our health, you know, on and on and on. But we're going to take communion. And if for some reason you can't think of any other reasons to thank God, you could thank him for the fact that you didn't have to go to that cross that Jesus died on. And think about it. When, I think I wrote it down. Yeah. In the garden, when Jesus was praying in the garden, you know, it tells us that, you know, he withdrew from the guys, he knelt down and prayed, and he said, Father, if it's your will, take this cup away. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. You know, Jesus was willing. God, if it's, if it, hey, God, if it's your will and it can happen another way, great. But if not, then here I am. And here I am. And in the Last Supper, when he's breaking bread with the disciples, it says that he gave thanks. He gave thanks. You know, you'd be hard-pressed to find Jesus complaining to the Father about things that were happening. And, you know, what a, what a role model that we have in our Lord. And when we take communion, you know, I just pray that you guys would do some soul-searching. You know, it's, communion is a time where you just hold the elements. You're thankful for what Jesus did. We're thankful that we're saved, that we didn't, that he, you know, the, the beating he took, we deserved. He was sinless, but he, he, he stood in our place. And, you know, I just want to encourage you. Um, I mean, you know, and this, this really isn't like a, a deep message where, you know, uh, you know it's, just, it's, it's, not, it's not even like this spiritual thing. It's just, do you love the Lord? Do you, do you realize what he did for us and what he's doing? And take that and be thankful for that and just replace any type of other kind of attitude, complaining, or criticism, anything like that, and just replace it with an attitude of gratitude. And as you're holding these elements, and I've been doing this since we started this little segue with the seniors almost a month ago, you know, I've been going out of my way to think of ways to be thankful, things that God's doing, things that have happened that I ordinarily, like the other, I woke up the other day and there was snow and it was, free, it was cold. My first response would have been, oh man, I can't really, I can't stand the snow. But you know what? Thanks, Lord. Pastor Mark had a good analogy. You know, white as snow. You know, why didn't I think of that? I'm looking out at the snow. I could have said, look, Lord, we're, you know, we're as white as snow. We're cleansed. You know, it's just, it's all, it's, it's up here and it's in your heart. 
being thankful, being thankful. So let's, um, let's do this. How many songs do you have, Sarah? Two? All right. Well, while Sarah's doing this first worship song, you guys could come up and grab the elements, and then get, when you get back to your seat, wait, we'll take them together. But, you know, even as you're walking up here, start thinking about those things that God has done in your life. And be thankful. Recognize them. Give him thanks. This is kind of familiar um, when we take communion. So I want to read it, but then I want to just just a couple thoughts in um, Psalm 107. But in um, 1 Corinthians 11, Paul said, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you. So Paul received this by revelation, obviously. That the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks... He broke it and said, take, eat, this is my body, which was broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And I'm wondering if that remembrance is with a thankful heart, attitude of gratitude, of joy, of knowing what Jesus did for us. And in the same manner, he took uh, the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new cup of my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. So we know that Jesus took our place on the cross. But, you know, there's something that in Psalm 107, you know, and you guys have probably heard this before, but when God wants to emphasize something, he repeats it. Right? If he says it more than twice, um, you know, it's something he wants us to know. So listen to a few verses out of Psalm 107. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His mercy endures forever. In verse 8, oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Verse 15, oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works for the children of men. Verse 21, Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Last one, verse 31. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Oh, that we would give thanks to the Lord. Oh, that we would give thanks to the Lord. Well, Lord, we do give you thanks. And Lord, uh, before we partake, if there's anyone here that's, that doesn't know you, that's not born again, I pray, Lord, that, um, that we would, could remedy that this morning. Uh, that, um, Lord, that um, when we're done here, that they would just come up and see me. For those of us that are born again, spirit-filled, saved by the blood of Christ. We come before your table, Lord, uh, with a heart of thanksgiving. Lord, um, I know what you saved me from. 
each person sitting in this room knows. And you know, it's all different, but um, I guess the, the commonality is that we're all sinners. We're all sinners destined for hell, destined for eternal separation from you. And Lord, I can't think of anything that could be worse than that, to be eternally, eternally, just forever separated from you. But yet you, you came and became a man and you took our place on that cross willingly, even thanking the Father for it. It's just, um, God, we're just amazed. Jesus, we're amazed at who you are and your love for us. And I pray, Lord, as we take these elements that, you know, that we would, Lord, um, realize just the, the depth that we need and we should be thankful for all that you have, have done in our lives, all that you're doing in our lives, and all that you're going to do in our lives, Lord. And I pray that we can rejoice at what you accomplished for us. So as we um, take these elements, Lord, that we would take them um, with the attitude of gratitude and just the joy in our hearts knowing that the work's been done. You're not suffering anymore, Lord. You're seated at the right hand of the Father. And uh, that's amazing, God. Thank you. Thank you for all that you're going to be doing even throughout the rest of our day. So um, let's take the elements together, guys. So Sarah's going to lead us in one more song. If you're here and um, you want prayer for something, come on up. We can pray for you. If you're here and uh, you're maybe that one that's not born again, we're here for that as well. All right? So uh, let's uh, do this last song. Let's stand together. Amen. Well, Lord, thank you for just being an active part of the rest of our day today. We just put it before you and uh, pray, God, uh, for traveling mercies for those that uh, are heading out now and um, for those that are staying for, uh, for lunch. Uh, we pray that you would um, be the topic of discussion, Lord, as we um, fellowship together. We love you and thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.